Mac Power Users, Episode 69, The Browser Wars. Hello, everyone. This is David Sparks. Along with me is Katie Floyd. Hi, Katie. Hey, David. Uh, so today we're going to talk about the browser wars. Which, we're going to go to war. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe that's a little overdramatic. But yeah, well. we, we got you know basically three primary browsers on the Mac. We've got several browsers on iOS. And people have been writing and asking, well, which one do you use and why? And we've been talking about doing the show for over a year now. And we thought, why not? You know, before we get into the content of the show, Katie, Macworld iWorld is just around the corner. That's right. I am getting very excited about that. And we're going to have a, you're going to have an interview with Paul Kent um, at the very end of the show that if our listeners are at all interested in attending Macworld and iWorld, and even if they're not this year, but they may think about doing it in the future, I would strongly encourage them to stick around and listen to. Uh, But if you're going to be there, David and I are going to be there. And please, please, please uh, come up and say hi. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, we're going to be talking several times uh, on Thursday at uh, 10 a.m. I'm going to be doing 40 Tips in 40 Minutes with Brett Terpstra and Merlin Mann. And it is going to be a circus and zoo and fun in all the great ways. Oh, I'm excited about that. And it sounds exhausting. That's uh, going to be awesome. We, we have some special plans involved. And then on Friday, you and I are going to be doing an entertainment workflow interview with Rob Cordry. And Merlin Mann. Yeah, Merlin's going to participate in that as well. So that's at 11 o'clock. And, and right before that, on on Friday at ten o'clock, is going to be a uh, a showing of the Mac Roundtable. I don't think we have room numbers for any of this yet, so you'll have to check the listings when you get there. Yeah, I don't think I'm going to be able to be there because we're going to be getting ready for the Rob Cordry one. But a lot of great podcasters are going to be there, so go check that one out. Yeah, I don't know if we'll be on the panel, but we'll we'll at least try to pop in and, and show our support. And then at eleven o'clock on Saturday, I'm going to be at the Omni booth doing something. It's not clear exactly what yet. I'm sure Omni will have a schedule they can check out. Yeah. And then on 3 o'clock on Saturday, you and I are going to be at the Smile booth uh, for yeah, an Yeah, for a Meet the Podcaster section. So you can just come by and say hi, and we can chat. Um, or we can show you how we use the Smile products, and, and you can check those out as well. So that will be a lot of fun. Yeah, I just I can, can't tell you how much I love going to Macworld every year. It's like get to let my hair down and be a geek and just have fun for a few days. And if you're up there and you see me, please say hello. Uh, I love meeting listeners and readers and it's just a great time. Yeah. It's, it's the, I think the one week out of the year, a couple days out of the year that I just get to step completely outside of my life and just let go and, and have a lot of fun. So uh, I can't wait for it. But anyway, we are, we're not here to talk about uh, Macworld completely. So uh, let's, let's talk about all these web browsers. Exactly. Yeah. Well, the first one we're going to talk about is internet Explorer for the Mac, right? Yeah, exactly. Everybody <laughs> needs that one. Absolutely. Well, Steve Jobs at one point said it was his favorite browser for the Mac, remember? Oh, yeah. That's bad. Um, Times have really changed, haven't they? They have changed. And, you know, I don't know that it's as as important now as it was before, but I still find that it's important to have multiple browsers because it used to be back when some of these browsers were still in their infancy, you would still have problems, especially when the web was designed for Internet Explorer, that certain web pages – wouldn't load in Safari, but it would load in Firefox and, you know, back and forth. And that seems to be less of a problem now um, because designers are designing less for Internet Explorer and more for web standards. But 
I still think it's a good good plan to have yeah, at least two web browsers installed on your computer. Well, I mean, I've got all three. As recent as a few years ago, it, when you bumped into an Internet Explorer based site, you know, it was a problem for you that you know you had to deal with. And now I just look at it as an, a notification that whoever put the site together has no idea what they're doing. Right. And it's probably not worth my time anyway. But, uh, right. you know, <laughs> that's changed over the years. But, you know, and browsers are a lot better now. I mean, I think one of the themes that's going to come out of this show is, you know, use what works for you because they're all pretty good. And and these browsers now have a lot in common. You know, we've really been playing this this leapfrogging game over the last couple of years and even the last couple of months where the browsers have been adding different features and this one's got this and that one's got that and this one's faster. No, this one's faster. No, I'm faster now. Um, and I think that ultimately has been very good for the consumer. But now we're at the point where a lot of these browsers have a lot of the same basic feature set in common. Yeah. You know, they all have private browsing. They all have some kind of extension or add-on base. They all have some kind of integrated search. They all have tab browsing. They all have autofill. For the most part, they're all standards compliance, and every single one of them claims to be the fastest. Yeah. So that's good, though. I mean, I think that, that is good. in general, there's a common set of features, but they also do have their own feel. I mean, there is a difference between the the three major ones we're going to cover, which are Safari, Chrome, and Firefox. But we're going to talk about some other ones as well. But uh, they all do have kind of their own feel, and I think it's it makes it more of a personal decision. So let's start with my favorite, okay, uh, which is Safari. And uh, I used Safari for many many years. It used to be my favorite. Yeah, and I think part of it may be uh, the fact that I spent several years using PCs at work or whatever. Um, when I came over to the Mac, one of my ideas was I wanted to use Apple software whenever possible. I just wanted the idea of having everything by one company. So everything integrates as best as possible. So you really bought into that Apple ecosystem. Well, I I did to a certain extent, you know, I just felt like, you know, why not use their browser as well? Um, and I think there's still a, a good case to be made for Safari. Um, it's, you know, it is a Mac app. It has the look and feel of a Mac app and, uh, it's WebKit based. You know, WebKit is kind of a common theme running through this whole thing, and people make fun of Apple, saying how they're a closed company and you know they're not, um, you know they're not open and they don't share information. Blah blah blah. WebKit is kind of an exception to that. In fact, I think John Gruber did a, a talk on this at some point. I'm going to have to look it up and put it in the show notes. Um, but you know, WebKit is kind of the underlying piece of the uh, web browser that they developed, and I know it was an existing open source project, but Apple has been contributing a lot to it, and Apple put a lot of work into it, and it's the basis of the browser in Chrome, it's the basis of all these browsers on iOS, it's the basis of the browsers on Android. So, uh, you know, Apple has a lot to do with that, and this is, you know, Safari is is Apple's vision of, of the WebKit um, browser. And I'm sure I'm not getting all the details right, so people will correct me. But either way, that's kind of the way I look at it. Uh, Currently, we're at Safari 5. Um, There was some speed issues with it when it first came out with Lion. It seems to me that that's by and large fixed. I think it was a JavaScript problem, but um, it works plenty fast for me. Um, uh, I like a lot of the new features they put in it. Like they've got that uh, download toolbar icon. Have you used that in the Safari one, or are you just completely off Safari? No, no, I've used, I still use Safari. Okay, so when you download, just to the right of the search uh, 
uh, bar, there's a little download and there's a little arrow pointing down. You click on that when you download things and it's easy to get to them. I prefer yeah, you know, it took me a while to find that. I prefer that over the traditional means of, you know, going to your download folder and looking up and it makes it very easy for me to access my downloads, which I think is, is a good thing. Um, and especially using Safari, I always turn off the automatically open downloads button. Absolutely. Um, you should turn that off. That used to be default turned on. I am not sure if they... It is now default off. Yeah, exactly. So they fixed that with, I believe, Lion. Yeah. I think it's open, quote, safe files upon download, and Apple realized that there really are no safe files anymore. Yeah. So now it's up to you. Uh, So, But they made it very easy for you to find the downloads. Um, Another thing I really like about Safari is that it uses the multi-touch gestures, which I've incorporated into my life very much so. Um, I even have a little trackpad for my iMac. So I like that stuff. But that's an example of the way the app has integrated itself into the operating system. And when Apple decides to push forward with something with the OS, like we're going to use this touchpad and we're going to use gestures, you know, Safari is the first app to really get full support for it. Well, and you know it's coming because Apple is going that way. Yeah. And um, you just don't get that with the other browsers. Um, there's a couple visual things I like, and I know they're simple and, um, probably made for people who are not power users, but the, the way it displays top sites and the way it displays history with the way it scrolls them across the screen, I find really convenient. Um, yeah, I do like that. That was one of the things I missed, but yeah. I, I found some workarounds. We'll talk about that. Okay. Well, we're going to, you're going to make the case for Chrome in a minute. I will. All right. So I'm, I'm just kind of talking through what I do with Safari. Um, I like the way it integrates with the OS in terms of email and downloads. Like if I want to email a link to a page, and I know you can do this in some of the other apps, but it, you know, Safari makes it very easy to send a link or send the content of a page to someone. And, um, and probably the, the biggest reason why I use Safari is for the automator support. And uh, I'm really into automation. In fact, we're going to have an automator show here pretty soon. And I, you know, the, if you open Automator and look at all of the Automator actions available for Safari, um, and you want to do that kind of stuff, you want to automate your experience on your Mac, Safari really is going to be your browser. Because well, can you talk th- about that a little bit? Like, what kind of things? Just give some examples. All right, well, let me open it up. Automator for. Let me see here. Auto the Automator. I mean, in terms of like just the basics of. Uh, like grabbing URLs, filtering them, um, getting enclosed URLs from articles. So you can run a, there's a built-in automator action that will grab every link from a selected article, which you can use to build actions. You can get the text from a web page. You can, um, I mean, there's just a lot you can do. You can, you can mark an article, you can, um, filter them. I, I don't, I'm repeating myself, you can download all the, not only download or grab them, you can download the URL links, you can display web pages. I mean, there's probably about 20 of them in here. And that's stuff you can do uh, directly hooking into Safari that you can't do with Chrome or Firefox or any of the other browsers. I mean, I guess you could probably get some Apple script built to do some of these things, but it's really easy with Safari. Um, so I'm just kind of going through the list. Uh, another thing about, um, Safari I like, and I'm not sure this is really an advantage of Safari. In fact, it's probably an advantage for Chrome is that I, I don't use, um, I don't use flash at all on my computers and that can be a problem, I guess, depending on 
you know, how tech savvy you are. And that kind of goes back to uh, me purchasing my MacBook Air, um, I think last year, uh, when the new MacBook Airs came out. Or I guess it was 2000, we're in 2012 now. This was in 2009 when the first uh, revised MacBook Air came out. I bought one and didn't have Flash installed. And I found I could get by fine without it. And uh, and I don't have that in on my on my iMac anymore either. Do you want to talk about that for a little bit? Yeah, we, well, because we, we talked about that a little bit in our Google show, and we had a lot of interest in that. And then there there are some options other than going as extreme as you did. Yeah. I mean, there's like Flash Bash. And if you look in the Mac App Store now, there's even more apps out there to kill Flash or to limit the ability to use Flash. Um, but I find it's just it, I can get rid of it because I have Chrome as well on my computer. So well, maybe we for, talk about that later. I don't know. Yeah, for me it's a non-issue because I use Chrome, so I've completely removed Adobe Flash from my computer. But you have actually made the conscious choice. You're you're not going to use Chrome. You use Safari. Well, you do use it, but you use Safari primarily. Um, so what happens when you you've completely removed Flash from your computer? What happens when you go to a site like? Hulu or YouTube or although I know a lot of the YouTube videos are now being re-encoded into HTML5, but what happens? Well, for YouTube, there is a plugin for Safari that that defaults to HTML5. So it displays all of the... If uh, if the video is available in HTML5. I've never had it say it's not available. Yeah, I know YouTube was going back and changing their catalog. I'm wondering if they've got their whole catalog converted now. And, And I'll admit I don't you know, spend a lot of time on YouTube. So I haven't watched that many YouTube videos, but I've never had it say, Hey, you can't watch this one. But so, you know, there's a plugin for that. And we're going to talk about plugins at the end of the show because we've got this massive list. Um, But that's how I do it. YouTube. Uh, If I run into something else, you know, in my experience, flash is generally used for serving up ads, you know, and that's okay with me, I guess, if those don't display. But once in a while, and I'll say probably about once a month, I run into something where I want to see a Flash video. And so what I do for that is uh, in the Safari preferences, I enable what they call developer mode. And uh, when you do that, it gives you a different, an additional menu item called develop. And there, you can click on there, and you can click uh, on open. There's a, an entry for open page with. And I have Google Chrome installed, and Google Chrome has a version of Flash baked in. Um, so I can open it with Google Chrome, and then I can see the Flash video. So I need Chrome for that reason. Right. Now, if you if you don't want to go completely crazy, and and I wouldn't argue that it's crazy, but if you don't want to go to that extreme... Yeah, what are you saying, Katie? I'm not yeah, sure. well, I know, because I've done it too. Uh, if you don't want to go that extreme and completely uninstall Flash... There are some plugins that you can use that are available for the different browsers like Click to Flash and FlashBlock that will disable Flash on web pages to start up, but then you actually have to click and it will show you the movie. Um, and I use those uh, for a long time in conjunction with an app that's available in the Mac App Store called Flash Frozen um, that would either kill all instances, of, it puts a little menu bar um, icon in your menu bar and would kill all instances of Flash or give you a warning uh, when Flash started using a certain percentage that you set of resources on your machine. And, and you can see when when Flash is starting to give you a problem and reset it. Yeah. Well, that's... So that's, that's one option. And that's why like, I do click the Flash on my wife's computer, because if she had to go to a different browser to see Flash, I would get grief for it, you know? 
and she's fine with it. And, you know, I was just talking to her about that recently. She doesn't use it very often. I mean, I think Flash is really starting to become less ubiquitous. Thank goodness. Yeah. Well, it just makes sense. Yeah. You know, as they, you know, they, they rightly, I think, gave up the mobile development and they're devoting their resources, as I understand it, to developing better HTML5 tools. I think Adobe made a smart move. You know, they, that's the way things are going. The world is becoming increasingly mobile and uh, they need to be there for it. So it's, I think a natural consequence of that is that on the, the PCs, on the trucks, you know, we're still going to use less flash. I'm sorry. And uh, we're going to be seeing more HTML5 out there as well. The place where I still see flash a lot, and I know this isn't an issue for you, is um, Facebook. Facebook videos are still in flash. Yeah. Well, and the Facebook point. audio for the people who see our um, audio content in Facebook, even though our, you know, nothing that we've configured is flash, but when we link to our audio file in Facebook, uh, the Facebook has it set up as, as flash. Yeah. Um, not us. Well, I, you know, that's kind of my case, though, for Safari. I, I like the integration. I, I think the overall theme uh, for Safari is integration with the OS. I mean, it's, okay. it, of all the three browsers we're going to talk about, it does the best job of integration with the OS. You know, the things like the automator support and the multi-touches are just basically examples of that. And that's what you get. If that's the big deal to you, then you should go with Safari. In terms of speed, I don't think it's the fastest. I think generally, I mean, occasionally Apple says it is, but it seems to me that every time I've used Chrome, it feels like it's a little faster. But it's not so much faster, or I guess Safari is not so slow that it's really a consideration to me. Do you use the nightly builds of WebKit? No. And I guess that's a, a thing to talk about. You know, In addition to Safari, there are these these daily builds of WebKit, which is the latest and greatest iteration of WebKit, and it feels like and it's great if you you know want to have the the most recent build of this web technology. But the idea of having to download a new browser every time I want to get on the web, or you know, and and potentially dealing with bugs, it's just not worth the trouble. It's like running beta software, in my opinion. You're off that bandwagon. Uh, yeah, sort of. I mean, occasionally, if I need to, I will. But just the idea of putting it to my browser, I'm not really that interested in. I mean, the time that I would spend updating the the daily builds would way <laughs> it would kill any additional speed I'd get from having the latest and greatest. So that you know, that's kind of my thing. I, I like Safari. I do use Chrome. I don't even have Firefox installed, uh, and occasionally I use Chrome. Like in our security show, we had talked about using a different browser for your banking stuff. So I do all that in Chrome, but uh, generally my go-to browser is Safari. Hey, let's talk about a sponsor. Let's talk about a sponsor that is new to Mac power users for 2012. And we are so happy to have them on board because I think they're a great fit. Yeah. And this is a, an app I use all the time. Uh, Pixelmator. It is the most gorgeous image editor I have ever used for Mac OS X. Well, you know, it's it's even more than that. I think it's it's an app, it's a Mac image editor. It's a Mac image editor. I mean, it's yeah. built from the ground up for the Mac. And you know, when you start get in starting getting into photography and drawing and these things, you know, people will tell you, "Oh, you need Photoshop." You know, that's it, you know. And for many uh, years, and that's that's very inexpensive. Yeah, you know, everybody would but but for a long time that was it, you know. There was no option. 
You know, if you wanted to be serious about this stuff, you needed Photoshop, which by itself, according to my Amazon search, is $700, mm. you know, just to get Photoshop. Yeah, I think for a lot of people, Photoshop is overkill. It's difficult. It's made for multiple platforms, and it feels like it to me. Um, whereas Pixelmator is a Mac app, and it's all of 30 bucks right now. I think it's an introductory price, so if you're... Yeah, you because get Pixelmator it. 2.0 came out not too long ago, so it is an introductory price of $30, so strike while the iron is hot. Yeah, but w- what it does is it gives you many of the tools that are in Photoshop, but it's optimized for the Mac you know, it runs on a Mac. It uses the Mac's graphic processor, so it's really fast. Um, you know, they, there's a lot you can do with it in terms of drawing, uh, in terms of photo manipulation. I mean, they've got the burn and dodge tool and all the stuff, you know, red-eye tools, all the stuff you need to fix pictures. But they also have pens and um, different tools to draw. And, you know, I this is my go-to app. I mean, I use it all the time. When they said they wanted to sponsor, I was thrilled because – this is what I can talk about, you know, because I, I don't want to deal with Photoshop. I've never paid for it. I've never had it installed on my Mac. Every time I see somebody using it, it looks to me like you need to spend like three days in a seminar just to figure it out. And I don't get that at all from Pixelmator. And uh, I just can't recommend this app enough if you're looking to get into any type of picture manipulation. Like if you, if, you, if you shoot photography and you just have you know, iPhoto installed. You don't even have to be fancy. Maybe using your iPhone with a nice camera, you know, the iPhone that the new one has, but you want to go in and just make some slight adjustments to your pictures for 30 bucks with Pixelmator, you're in. I mean, there's, it's really a no brainer to me. So you can download it from the Mac app store. Uh, again, uh, we, you know, we don't have a way to refer us, you know, so if you're buying through the Mac app store, let them know you heard about it from us, but just go over and check it out. Uh, you can also go to pixelmator.com to see some videos and some samples of how to use the software. Uh, you'll be surprised at how easy it is to use. They've got, you know, the, the tools to remove backgrounds. They've got tools to change the image. I, I don't know. There's, I think as we go through the year, we're going to be doing some more spots for Pixelmator, and I'm going to go through and talk about some of the specific tools I use and how I use them. But for this first spot, I think you should just go check it out and, if you've got any interest in doing this kind of stuff for $30, just buy it before they raise the price. Right. And they've got a couple of dozen tutorials on their website that talk to you about from simple things like how to use Pixelmator in full screen version and how to use autosave to getting more complex about how to remove unwanted backgrounds or how to use the magic wand tool or how to create um, really in, intriguing backgrounds and visual effects to your photos. It, you can you can just go as far as you want. So. Thank you to Pixelmator. For, we're very excited to have you on board uh, for 2012, and uh, welcome to Mac Power. You. you know, one more thing about Pixelmator I forgot to mention is they won an Apple Design Award. Oh, they were the app of the year for 2011. Yeah, and they were the Mac App Store app of the year for 2011. So it's it's a great app. Go check it out and um, and get started making your pictures look great. Yeah, we're not the only one who loves them. Yeah. All right, so it's my turn to talk about Chrome. Go for it. Yes, this is my browser of choice. And, you know, David, like you, I use Safari um, up until a couple of months ago, really. I, I started switching a few months before we did our show on the Google lifestyle. Um, so I, I've probably been using Chrome primarily for five, six, seven months now. And I initially started using Chrome just because I wanted to get more familiar with it because I had no experience with it prior to our Google lifestyle show. And as I started using it, I started really enjoying it, and I have not switched back to Safari since. 
Um, alone. I mean, there's a lot of, you know, uh, Mac geeks out there. What? Chrome puffs. I've never heard that word before. What does that mean? You've never heard of a Chrome puff? No. I don't know. I heard it. I I thought it was a real word. Maybe it's not a real word. Well, but there's a lot of Mac geeks out there who definitely prefer Chrome over Safari. And the, the common thing I hear is it's faster and more efficient. You know, that the UI is really clean and it goes really fast. Well, why did I switch? Well, at the time that I switched, this was when um, Safari 5.0 had just come out or fairly recently had come out. And there were lots of problems, or 5.1, I think, lots of problems with Safari 5.1 breaking all kinds of things. Now, the good news is that that is mostly resolved. And I think, David, you would say that Safari is fairly stable and your extensions are all working and that little rough patch is, is, is over, right? Yeah, and maybe I'm nuts, but it didn't seem to me like it was that bad. It was noticeably slower when Lion first came out. And again, it wasn't enough of a problem for me to to want to switch, but it's definitely, it seems like it's fixed itself, whatever they've done. Right. But I was uh, attracted to Chrome because like Safari, it has a fairly simplified design. And then it also had some other unique features that, once I started using them, I found it very difficult to go without them. Like, for example, if you live in the Google lifestyle, it has a sign-in feature where you can sign in with your Google account information, and it will create a uniform experience um, between all of your instances of Google Chrome that you have. So, for example, Google Chrome is my primary browser, not only on my Mac at home, um, my two Macs at home, um, my both my Mac Mini that I use as kind of a home media center, uh, my... Um, my MacBook Air, but it's also my primary browser on my PC at work. And no matter where I am, my Google Chrome experience is uniform because all of that information that I've used to customize Chrome, my preferences, my extensions, my add-ons, my settings, all sync between the various versions of Chrome. So if I make a tweak or I make a change at home over the weekend and I'm experimenting, that change will then follow me to work on Monday and I will have that uniform experience. The other thing that I really liked about Chrome is, you know, and we'll talk about this kind of with Firefox, but you know, it seemed like every time I was turning on my computer, there was some kind of update, update your browser, update your browser, update this, update that. Um, and Chrome just never bothered me with any of that. It's, I don't have to worry about it. It's just automatically updated in the background. I never see a message. I never have to worry about it being out of date. I don't know what it does. It's just doing its thing and it's, it's done and it's resolved. Now, I guess that could come back and bite if there was ever a bad update that was pushed out, but unfortunately we've been lucky. Uh, and then as you talked about, it does have the integrated flash. I've never had a problem with a website that has had a flash video and I've not had to worry about having flash installed on my computer. Although Chrome does have its own versions. So I was able to get rid of flash throughout my computer, but, but keep using Chrome. So that worked well. Um, I've also found it to be, you know, one of the features that that Google promotes of Chrome is stability. Um, I've had a lot of instances where something has crashed the browser and nothing has happened. You know, a tab has crashed or a certain web page has crashed and I've got this little sad, you know, sad Chrome message that reminded me, remember in the old original um, Mac days where you would get the sad Mac at startup? Yeah. Yeah. But it kind of looks like that. And it would just say, you know, hey, something bad has happened. And you just hit the refresh button and you're done and you're beyond it. And it's, it's resolved itself. Yeah. And um, so that, and that's 
tab-based um, sandboxing. So if a tab goes bad, it doesn't bring the rest of your browser down. Right. Now, I understand that is becoming a piece of WebKit as well, but I don't think that is, is live yet. Um, but that's that's a feature that I think you're going to see supported by all of the browsers. And I, wow, I'm kind of going on a limb here. I think that's true in Safari now too, because I don't, I can't think of the last time Safari has brought down by one tap. Well, I think uh, Safari has, has, because I know it was a promoted feature of Safari, like, you know, if a plugin crashes or something like that, I don't know what happens if an entire tab crashes in Safari. No, neither do I. So I'm not but that may, but I've never, I've, I've definitely seen an entire tab crash in, in Chrome, and it's just hitting the refresh button has resolved it, and nothing more has happened to my web experience. Yeah. So that's that's good. It's been very stable for me. The other thing that Chrome has is a built-in task manager. So if you do, so you can, you know, like a task manager on a PC or the activity monitor on a Mac, you can see all of the processes individually that are running on a web page, and you can decide to cancel them or stop them individually rather than just closing the tab if you have something that's being non-responsive. Yeah. So that's very helpful. Um, and then there's the Omnibox. And I don't know, I mean, I think that's a personal preference, but that's where Google Chrome has one single bar across the top. It is not split in two like, like most of the other web browsers where you can type in web addresses, you can type in web searches, it will search your web history, it will do this all in a single bar. And that took a little bit of time for me to get used to because I'm so used to tabbing over to the little Google search box in Safari. Yeah. Um, but I, but I found that it works well. And, um, that's not in Safari, but you can add it with a plugin. Right. And there's an Omnibar plugin, which I really like that feature. And, uh, I do use that plugin. As far as security, Google does go out and um, try to flag websites that are known to be sources of phishing attacks or malware or otherware un- otherwise unsafe. If you've synced your iPhone, your iPhone actually, or your iPad, you, you may see this as a stage in that sync process because Apple is actually using Google's database for their safe browsing information as well. I don't know if they're the exact same databases. So that's nice. I've never, I've never come across it where Google has flagged a website for me, thankfully. I also use that in conjunction with OpenDNS, of course, which does the same thing. Yeah. So I feel like, you know, having belt and suspender approaches is always good. Thankfully, I've never, never run across it. Um, and then there's this, there's, um, um, sorry, the Google web store is, is this, this whole web environment, uh, store that includes applications, extensions, and themes. and, the idea behind Chrome, at, at you know, originally was that the browser was going to be the place for everything. You know, you weren't going to. In fact, Google started commissioning and building to some extent these Chromebooks that were, were just a website, or I'm sorry, just a web-based computer. And Chrome was the name of their operating system, where uh, you could have word processing programs, you could have presentation programs. Of course, you could have Angry Birds. Although for some reason, I've never gotten that to work for me. Um, all within the web browser as these true web apps as opposed to having a separate application running on your computer. And I don't think that that has really taken off the way that Google intended it to. I, I certainly haven't seen widespread use of it, and I personally haven't used many of the apps. I don't know. Uh, David, have you 
any thoughts on web apps in general? You know, I looked at that web store and I just cannot get interested in the web-based operating system idea. And there's kind of a holy war brewing on this. There's a lot of really smart people out there that are making arguments how the future is the browser and that the internet portal is the browser and we're going to get web apps that, you know, that basically turn our browser into word processors and other things. And then there's a whole nother group of people that says the future is these web savvy apps. And that's kind of like the iOS model where uh, you have a Twitter app that looks at Twitter and you have, you know, different, you know, a Facebook app that looks at Facebook rather than going on the web and navigating to the, to the URL. Um, I generally, and it's just me, maybe, you know, I generally prefer the app model where you have an app that does it. I mean, I just bought an app the other day that, that, reviews on my Instapaper on my Mac. So I don't go to the Instapaper website anymore. And so the more of that stuff for me, I like, and that's just me. And I I don't know where it's all going to go, but I think that's going to become a a big thing in the future. And, you know, Google is obviously interested in the browser model because I think that's what they're really good at. So uh, we'll see where it goes. I don't think they're going to give up on the Chrome operating system, but so far it doesn't really seem to be um, really very popular or, have a lot of support. No, I, I don't think it's taken off, but I mention it because it's there. Yeah. Um, well, it's interesting, you know, you know it's a, and that's something like in opposed to like the automator support on Safari, you know, Google has this whole app store really where you can, I guess, buy a web-based version of angry birds. If you want, I don't know if you buy it or is it free? I don't know. No, it's free. It's yeah. free. But like I said, I've, I've never been able to get it to work on, on my installations. And I don't know if that's because of the extensions of the, uh, conflict between the extensions I have installed or what, but you know what? I probably don't need to be sitting at my desk at work playing angry birds. Yeah. It just never had much attraction to me. Um, but the other thing that you can get from the Google web store, which I, I have used for is obviously extensions. Yeah. Um, and then you can get themes, which again, I'm not a big theme person, but they're there if you want them and you can completely change the look and appearance of the web browser to suit your taste. And when Chrome first showed up and frankly, Safari got its, facelift it, neither one of them were really very good about supporting extensions but now they both have pretty robust extension support right and they both took a nod from firefox in in this respect yeah but the, for me what i think the 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 features that really clenched chrome for me was the built-in sync support um and you can do this with your google account but um google chrome will sync your apps your bookmarks which I don't sync. I, I use a separate extension called Xmarks. Um, your autofill information, your extensions, all of this information, not passwords yet, uh, which if it did, I would not use because I use one password for that, all across all of your installations of Chrome once you've signed into your Google account. And if you're worried about the security of this, you can either use your Google account password or you can use another password. You can uh, amp up the security a little bit more. And and then you have the option to go in and say sync this but not that sync this but not that which is good that you can you can go in and into configure it and the most recent version as of the time we're recording this show version sixteen um, again tries to build on that idea of being more of an operating system and introduces an option for multiple account sync so if you have either a single person that has say multiple personas online and you have multiple Google accounts for those different personas, you can switch back and forth between those different Google accounts if you have different settings for Chrome, um, depending on which mode you're in. Or if you're truly different people who are working 
at a workstation and, you know, David wants to have his settings when he's there and switch it over and Katie wants to have her settings when she's there. What I don't like about this is that it is not secure in the way that they've implemented multiple account sync at all. I think it's kind of their way of trying to introduce like a fast user switching, but as of the way that it's implemented in version 16, if anybody has access to your computer and they're sitting there in front of Chrome, they just click a little button in the upper, I think it's the upper left-hand corner, and they can switch to the different account. Now, this is helpful, like like I said, if you have you know, multiple Google accounts yourself that you're trying to switch into and you can secure your computer, but it's not secure from anybody who has access to your computer. And I'm not really sure that matters to me. I mean, the, but what you're saying really, I think, is Google Chrome is really good for multi-platform. It is. With it's the great. syncing. Like if, you're, if you use a PC at work and a Mac at home, it's a good way to go. Uh, and then a couple of little things that it has. It does have Google Cloud Print, so... If you're not at home, you can print to your home printer or vice versa. If you're at home and you want to print to your work printer, if you set up that printer through Google Cloud Print, it will remember it and, and you can print to different printers depending on where you are. You know, I it never really has, understood that. You know, I mean, <laughs> so if you're not there, what's the point of printing it out? Well, if you want to have something waiting for you. I guess. I'd, I, I'd forget about it. It's not a feature I've used much. Yeah. yeah, I would forget about it. There was some my, that, printer, when I wrote, my printer's in a closet. And well, yeah, when I wrote the iPad out workbook, there were some apps that did that, and I'm, I didn't include them because I just didn't see the point. You know, I like the idea of printing from home, but I don't know. I think I'm sounding like a curmudgeon, though, at this point. Okay. Yeah. You don't like the Chrome. I got you. No, you know, I do like Chrome. I, I don't think I should say that because I think it looks, it's an interesting UI. I, I don't care for it as much as Safari. I don't really like the top tabs. And, you know, I think that Google's trying to do things differently. They're trying to shake it up. And I, I like that. You know, I mean, the browser had the same look for so long. I mean, they were the first one, Google was, to take so many buttons out of the UI, which I think really makes the browser better. And, and they've got, they've had some very innovative stuff with this. Um, I think the reason I don't use it as my primary one is because they're never going to have the the Mac OS integration that Safari has, and that's a big deal to me. And I'm still a little leery of Google and just you know turning over everything to them. And that's another big issue. You know, using their stuff for everything. I mean, they, it's a company that makes their money selling ads and. Um, I don't think that they're intentionally trying to abuse my information, but it seems to me like at the same time, I don't really want to make it that easy for them to collect that much about me. Um, they are doing a couple things. I don't know if they've made good on this promise, but I know last year they had stated that they were going to drop H.264 support in favor of this WebM standard. They were trying to change the video standard of the Internet. And by doing that, they were going to drop H.264 from... The, the browser, well, that's the way a lot of videos encoded. And uh, have they done that yet? Are you familiar with this at all? Yeah, I heard about it. I don't think it's been implemented yet. In fact, I, I, I'm hopeful that they'll quietly drop it. Yeah, I hope so, too, because I think that's a mistake. Um, but, you know, it's a good browser. I mean, like I said, it's my alternate browser. When I need to do something else, I use it. And I also use it for watching Flash. So I'm not trying to you know, say it's terrible. It's just, I prefer Safari's all. Uh, and to be fair, there, there are a good number of things that I miss from Safari. Um, some of them I've been able to tweak a little bit with some different extensions. Um, but some of them I haven't found, found workarounds for like, for example, I really miss the top sites. 
um, that used to be when I opened a new, um, a new instance of Safari, it, that's what it opened to was top sites, which I just liked the appearance of that and being able to click to one of my most frequently visited websites. Um, there's an extension I use called speed dial two, which is a replacement for that. Um, I think you're correct in that Safari overall feels and acts more like a Mac app. And I do miss that. Um, I don't really like the way that Chrome handles bookmarks. They've kind of got all my bookmarks shoved in this, you know, bookmarks are either on the bookmarks bar or they're in this other bookmarks menu where you have to kind of dig and drill down for them. I'm, I'm a big, you know, folder organization person and I don't like having to dig so many levels for my bookmarks, but you know, they don't have them in the, in the bookmarks menu bar. And, um, the, um, the other thing I, I miss about it is, um, by default, although you can change this, Google uses its own proprietary print preview screen that doesn't give you all of the features. Now you can, that doesn't give you all the features that you would get when you, when you print from a dialog box in the Mac, like you can you have that drop down menu that says save it as a PDF or save this PDF to Evernote or save this PDF to wherever, or do different things like that. Um, and there is a workaround where you can disable that by going into the about colon flag setup of, of Google and um, disable the print preview, or there's a button you can click that will take you to the system print menu. But I just thought it was one too many steps by default. You know, Google, of course, wants you to use their print preview screen. I, I never get that. When a big company comes onto the Mac and says, well, you know, there's this one print dialog box that every app uses on the platform. And this is something Microsoft does on occasion too. They say, well, that's okay, but we have a, we're, we're going to do it better. And, you know, like Adobe does it. Microsoft does it. Now Google does it. I mean, why don't you just use the built-in print dialog box that we all have and are used to and, and have customized to our own needs? I just think I it's know. kind of, I think it's kind of arrogant from these big companies to do that. I mean, if you're going to be on that operating system, use the standard dialog boxes. I don't get that. Like I said, a, a lot of this is fixable if you go under the hood and you tweak some settings or you download extensions to fix it. But of course, the more extensions you download, um, the more you're going to, you know, bog down the browser and the experience. Yeah. So you don't want to have 50 extensions downloaded. And there's no multi-touch support. Well, there's a little bit. You know, you can swipe back and forth for web pages, but it's it's not to the extent that Safari has multi-touch support yeah. enabled. Well, it, it's not a um, religious war. If you if you like Chrome better, use it. I mean, I don't care. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, they're good apps. I mean, they're all good. I mean, I don't think you're making a mistake even using Firefox, which neither of us use Firefox. But there's going to be some people out there who love it, and that's fine. I mean, it's it's a good browser too. Um, but the, uh, in my opinion, Safari really is, is better for the way I work. All right, hey, let's cover another sponsor. Yeah, let's take a break and let's talk about my favorite extension for any web browser anywhere. Yes. One password. Yeah, one password is the mandatory extension, right? Right. <laughs> you know, a lot of these web browsers will have um, you know, they'll hey, the, you know, do you want me to store your password for you? Click this button and and hey, don't worry about it. I'll I'll store all your passwords for you. And and I think they've gotten a little bit better about how they store their passwords, but they used to just be atrocious with the security that they would give to your passwords. And it was really dangerous, actually, to, to store your passwords in the web browser. And um, a long time ago, I made the decision to get rid of all of my web browser saved passwords and move completely over to 1Password. And because they uh, fit so well into any web browser with their support for extensions, I've never looked back. 
Yeah. And so for what one password does is it replaces that whole infrastructure with a secure method where you can create, you know, passwords. So one password does a great job of creating good, unique passwords, which was always a problem for me and saves them. And the one password plugin locks itself up and it's got everything in an encrypted database. So if someone gets onto your computer, they're not going to get your one, your uh, password database unless they they've got your one password that opens it up. Um, and it, it's just the only way to go. I, I totally agree. And because one password syncs this encrypted database over Dropbox, it shows up on whatever browser you're using on whatever platform you're using. So if you're on the PC at work and, you know, using Chrome, and if you're on the Mac at home and using Safari, it all works. Right. So you install the one password extension into whatever web browser you happen to be used and they support just about everything. And when you browse to a, a, a website that, um, you've got a username and password stored for, you click it, you can uh, sign in with your secure password, and it will give you immediate access to your 1Password. But if that takes too long, um, they do have quick access. You can press the command. I think by, um, by default, it's the command backslash key um, to log in even faster if you want to log in via hotkeys. Um, and when you're in a website and you create, this is one of my favorite features, if you're in a website and you've created a new password or you've changed your password on a website because you're going through and you're making changes to change secure passwords, um, 1Password will pop up and say, hey, um, I've just noticed that you've made a password. Would you like me to save this logon or would you like me to replace this with a currently existing login? And then from that point on, 1Password will remember it forever. Yeah, so you've got... It's finally a solution for your passwords that's secure. It's on all the platforms, Mac, PC, iPhone, iPad. Um, Dropbox syncs it everywhere. You just can't go wrong with uh, one password. And it is the, in my opinion, the very first plugin or tool you want for any type of web browser you're going to use on your computer. You can download 1Password from the Mac App Store for $49.99, and that will effectively give you a family license that you can use on all of your authorized Mac App Store machines. Uh, or you can download an individual license, either Mac or PC, from their website for $39.99, or a family license from their website for $69.99. They have an iOS hybrid version that will work on either an iPhone or an iPad for $14.99, or you can individually buy either the iPhone or the iPad version for $9.99. So there's an option for 1Password for everybody. Yeah. And if you haven't tried 1Password yet, you really owe it to yourself to go just check it out. It, I know we keep harping on about it, but uh, adding security to your web experience is, is probably the best thing you can do. And as we enter a new year, why not do it now? Right. Uh, and if you are an Android and Chrome person, they do have a 1Password app for Android as well. Yeah. Um, so you can find more information over at onepassword.com and we thank them for their support of Mac power users. Hey, let's talk about Firefox. Oh yeah. And this is going to be tough because neither one of us use it a lot. I mean, do you, you have it installed, right? Oh yeah. I've used Firefox for a long time. Uh, yeah. It's always been my, my secondary web browser and I, I used to use it almost exclusively on the PC at work. Yeah. So my wife uses it as her primary browser. She prefers it over Safari and Chrome. And it just makes me crazy how, because she always asks me about updates. She's a little nervous about that. And it's like, it seems like every few days she's asking me about an update <laughs> for Firefox. You know, Firefox, uh, I know it's it's just a numbers game, but Firefox really kind of turned me off this year because they had this insane release cycle for 2011. I think they released version four 
which was a major update in March. And as we record this show in, in January of 2012, they're on version nine with version 10 currently in beta. And it seems to me that the only reason they did this was just so that they could play the numbers game with Google Chrome and Internet Explorer. And that just to me seemed, although I'm all in favor of updates and I think that it's done, it's served them well in many respects because they, they have gotten some new features and they have improved. I, I think they've just been playing with the numbers. I mean, I remember when Firefox was really cool and it was the alternative to Internet Explorer on the PC. And then at some point it started to feel like Internet Explorer to me. And it's really not probably fair to say that. But mm-hmm. it just, I, I've kind of lost interest in it. I mean, the big thing about Firefox has always been the expandability and the plugins. I mean, they were the first one to really adopt that kind of plugin architecture, and people flocked to it. And there's some great stuff. I mean, I'm sure we've got some listeners out there that just make Firefox sing and dance using some of the, you know, these plugins that give you a lot of custom customization over the app. And and that has been Firefox's big game for a long time, and it's really what it's held out over the competition. But over the years, I think Firefox remained somewhat dormant, and Google Chrome and Safari, uh, Google Chrome came to market, and and Safari has caught up. And I think Firefox is now trying to um, you know play the game where it, it it keeps staying in front of the competition. But you know, there's there's only you know if you if you remain stagnant for too long, sometimes now you're playing catch up. But but Firefox, I, I I don't want to give it too hard a time, and I I think that there may be some people yelling at their iPods right now saying why why are you being so negative on Firefox? And I certainly don't mean to do that, um, because Firefox is a great browser, and one of the best features of Firefox is it is highly customizable. I mean, David, you mentioned you don't like the tabs on top on Firefox. You can decide: do I want tabs on top? Do I want tabs on the bottom? Yeah. Yeah. You know, do I want to show the status bar on the bottom? Yes or no. I can change that in Firefox. Um, you know, geeks like us like to get under the hood and tweak an awful lot and just about everything in Firefox you can tweak and customize. Um, I think for, for less geeky folks, maybe they'll, they'll have a tendency to, to shy away from that and just run with the standard install, which is fine too. Well, like Grease Monkey, this is that, in, uh, that plugin that's insane what you can do with Grease Monkey. It's like you can reprogram the whole app essentially with it and, uh, People do some really great stuff with that. I don't think that's probably available. Anything like that on Chrome or Safari. Um, the awesome bar is also another feature that is unique to Firefox. And this is what kind of started this, this whole revolution with the, with the browser bar, the, the awesome bar will search your history. It will search your bookmarks. It will search your open tab and it will also search your default search engine. So Firefox really started it. Uh, with the awesome bar and then Google Chrome kind of clombed onto it with the Omni bar as well. So how do you, when you're sitting at your Mac and you decide you want to go to a website, um, how do you go about getting there? How do I do it? Yeah. I do it with launch bar. Yeah, me too. I'm not a great example. So specifically in launch bar, I'll hit, I'll hit um, command space to open launch bar. Then I'll hit SA to get Safari. Oh, I won't even do that. And then I'll hit space for bookmarks, and then it'll give me the bookmark list. Or oh, okay. you de- depending on the bookmarks are indexed separately, too. If it's a bookmark that's unique enough, I'll just start typing the bookmark name, and it opens up, and I don't have to go through those extra steps. Yeah, that's usually what I'll do is I'll start typing the bookmark name, or I'll just stop t- uh, type dot and the website. Yeah, that, that works as well. Or do a Google search. I'll hit G-O, and then Google search comes up, and that's that's how I do it. I bet there's a lot of our listeners that that get to the web by launch bar or 
you know, Alfred or Al- any of these Quicksilver, other yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, either way, just kind of interesting. Uh, yeah, but I, I think that the big thing about Firefox is the expandability. Even though both um, Chrome and Safari both have plugins, I don't think they can really hold a candle to the number of plugins available for Firefox. No. And and, uh, and I think that's the, the selling point there. If, if that's a big deal to you, then maybe you should be using Firefox. Yeah, Firefox also with version four, and then it has improved over over the five, six, seven, eight, nine versions that have come quickly thereafter. Have also introduced some new um, UI features. For example, app tabs is one where you can create a very tiny tab at the start of your web browser, and you can pin an app there. So if you always like to have Twitter running. Um, as an app in the background, or if you always like to have your um, webmail running, you can do that in a very small app tab that will just show the icon and it will remain open when you launch your bar. And then like Google Chrome, one of my favorite features in Google Chrome, um, Firefox has also implemented a very strong sync feature where you can sync your history, you can sync your tabs, you can sync your bookmarks, and Firefox even allows you to sync your passwords uh, which does make me a little nervous. But Firefox will not only sync between various instances of Firefox, but it will also sync between their mobile and desktop versions. So that's a little unique because Firefox does have a mobile version. Yeah, that's true. And I forgot to mention earlier on Safari, there is bookmark syncing through iCloud, but that only works with Safari. I mean, if you go to work and you hook up Chrome, you're not going to get your bookmarks unless you use a third-party bookmark syncer. Right. We'll talk a little bit about those later, I think. Yeah, we we didn't cover some other browsers really in detail in the show, but they're worth the brief mention. At least Opera is one, and um, they're at opera.com. And OmniWeb, which is one of our sponsors, the Omni Group, have their own web browser. And they're both kind of unique takes on ways of accessing the Internet. The Omni app, I think, was really kind of interesting because the way they display the tabs in the left bar uh, they, they've got a different user interface to the to the web browser, and it's free, so it's worth looking at. I guess you'd call it visual tabs because it's got little images of the website. Mm-hmm. And this was before you know Apple had the the top sites view, but it it's kind of a similar thing, but down the left column. I like OmniWeb. I used to use it, but uh, I've just stuck with Safari at this point. And I'm you no, know, I'm kind of giving that one short shrift. A- another one is is the Opera. Have you ever used Opera, Katie? Not seriously, no. I mean, I've I've played with it a little bit, but I haven't used it seriously. Yeah, and their their big selling point is speed, and I know that they pre-cache some of these pages, so they render really fast, and uh, they're trying to use that particularly on the iOS devices with some of their the stuff they've got out for them. Uh, but I've never been a, a big user of Opera, so yeah. There's another option that we can talk about that's that's called Fluid, which is um it's an application slash web browser. I don't know that you can call it a true web browser, but the intent behind Fluid is to take a web page and turn it into an application. So this may be a solution we were talking in our security show, and you were talking earlier about having a, maybe a dedicated web browser for specific functions or liking to have, um, you know, liking the app environment, but maybe there's not truly an app available for what you want to do. And Fluid will take a website and then kind of create it as its separate app that will launch. Um, and then you can save that app in, as an icon in your in your applications folder. But you, what you're really just doing is, is launching a, a web browser and a very simplified in, interface. Yeah, so it, it essentially creates an app for a website. Right. So um, Google Docs is a good 
use for this or, or Gmail, you know, if you want to have, or, or, or Google calendar, if you want to use the Google, you like the Google calendar interface. A lot of people really love the Google, um, web interface, which I personally don't, but a lot of people do. And the advantage of that is that you've got it, a command tab app, you know, it's in your dock. You can command tab to it and it's not just another tab in a browser. It's, it's a separate app. Right. That being said, I don't use it. Okay. You? I do. Actually, I use it for, for a few things. Um, not often. What have I, you set up with it? Well, one I've set up is um, like CNN Live TV. Okay. When I, when I cut my cable, there's still an option where you can access Live TV through the CNN website. And uh, I've set that up on the Mac Mini that it's connected to my, to my TV. Okay, that makes sense. So yeah, then you so, can jump so to once it. I, yeah, so I can just jump to it from there. So if I wanted to pop up CNN, and you know, I just you know, with launch bar CNN, and it, and it pops up CNN. Um, I know some people who have set this up for their banking websites. You know, they want to use this as their separate web browser for banking. So that's an option, too. You know, we should talk a little bit about iOS browsers. Okay. Um, you know, the built-in browser on your iPad and your iPhone is Safari. And I think that's probably the one you should be using most of the time. Because once again, it's tied to the OS. Everything just works. But there is a case to be made for some additional browsers. And the one I would recommend is the Atomic Web Browser. Um, it feels to me like the, uh, I think it's a couple bucks. And it's the browser that where they took off all the limitations in terms of configuration. You know, at Apple, they have long discussions about adding any single button or option to anything. Um, where the guys at Atomic Web Browser, I think they just like, oh, yeah, let's add it. You know, <laughs> So if you go into the settings menu in the Atomic Web Browser, in terms of security or private browsing or wh- whatever it is that your hang-up is, they've got it, and they've got it in spades. So that's a really a – in fact, you can even spoof other types of of web browsers, including Internet Explorer, using the Atomic Web Browser. So um, if you ever run into something that just doesn't quite work with Safari, or if you have a reason to to want to use a different browser for something, I think the Atomic Web Browser is a good one worth trying out. And then, you know, the issue with Flash on the iOS devices is always a big discussion point. Um, Although it's becoming less of a discussion point now that Adobe is no longer developing Flash for mobile devices. But there's a browser called Skyfire, and the last time I checked the price, it was $5. And Skyfire, will you can go to a website that's got Flash on it, and Skyfire will queue it up and put it into, I think, H.264 and actually stream it to your iPad or your iPhone um, You know, with a little delay. It's like about a 30-second delay. But it'll stream the video to you uh, on your device. So if you bump into a Flash-based website and you absolutely have to see the video... It'll work. It doesn't allow you to like play flash games or anything like that, but for watching flash video, it allows you to do that on your, your iOS uh, device. Have you found that to work real well? I, I bought this app initially when it came out and thankfully I think I got a, a, a little lesser price introductory price on it. And I just haven't found an occasion where it has truly worked that well. I don't find much need for it. Um, I wanted to watch a daily show clip and it worked for that. Okay. And then my sister uh, wanted to, she, my, my sister has this website she goes to where they've got a hummingbird nest and they have a camera on it all day. And she loves the site, you know, <laughs> every day she goes and checks it in and she doesn't use her, her Mac anymore. I mean, she just uses her iPad. She's one of the new people that just 
just gets by with an iPad. But she said, boy, the one thing I miss is the ability to go look at those hummingbirds. So I put it on her iPad and it works. Which just- it doesn't have a native iPad app. You have to use it in the double, double size of the iPad. Are you sure about that? Uh, I know that's how I've been using it. Maybe there's a separate iPad app that I haven't downloaded. Okay, I'm getting my iPad out. I think it's native iPad. Hold on. Hmm, maybe I need to download an update. So I hooked it up for her, and she's able to watch her hummingbirds on her iPad. So well, that's good. Everything is working great. Yeah, it's native iPad on mine. So it's Skyfire for iPad. Oh, you know separate what? I just app. yeah, it's a separate app. I just downloaded it for the iPhone. Yeah. Anyway, so that's a that's another browser to consider having. Although I think generally you can get by with Safari for most everything you do. And that's for me, another selling point for Safari on the Mac is that, you know, I use iCloud. I've got all my bookmarks automatically synced across. And, um, although there is a PC in my office at my work, it really doesn't get used much. So, uh, I'm okay with just having Safari. I, I think that's another distinction really is you use the PC a lot more than I do at your work. I do. And so that, that kind of gives Chrome an advantage for you. So I'm not a big fan of Safari on the PC. As much as it feels like a native Mac app on the Mac, it just doesn't feel right on the PC. I'm not sure why. And that was one of my big problems is I I was using Safari on the PC at work, and it was just not working well. Yeah. It seems like Apple has trouble making PC apps. I mean, I'm not really a big fan of iTunes or Safari. And I think they originally did it on the PC back before they had native apps for the iPhone because they wanted to have a web browser for the PC Um, for web-based apps and for development purposes. Let's take a quick break and let's talk about our third sponsor, and that is the Omni Group and their product, OmniGraffle, which they make both for the Mac and for the iPad. And I go back and forth, David, because I don't know which one of these I like better. Yeah, I I find them both really good apps in their native environment. Um, In fact, I think on the iPad, OmniGraffle is something really special. And with the way they've implemented that user interface, uh, the way you can use your fingers to create these quick graphics and the way it integrates with, you know, you can get it into Keynote and you can share it to other places is really pretty special. I mean, I, I use it on the iPad now probably more than on the Mac, which surprises me. Mm. But either way, I mean, the, the OmniGraffle product is is a unique product. I, I guess the best comparison is that was the Microsoft uh, app that does the diagramming. It's called... Um, I don't know, but it doesn't do it nearly as well. Yeah, I, for, I forget the name of it. But anyway, it's a lot more money. And uh, it doesn't have quite, you know, it's not a Mac-friendly app. And, and it doesn't even exist on the Mac for that. But So what OmniGraffle does, though, is allow you to create templates and stencils where you can drag pre-rendered uh, images in and make very quick diagrams. Uh, in my day job as an attorney, I find OmniGraffle essential. Uh, and I make diagrams of everything because... Putting it up visually helps me understand it. And then when I eventually need to talk to somebody about it, it makes that communication much easier. And it makes it very easy. What I like for a non-artistic person, because I have no ability whatsoever to draw, paint. Um, I mean, my handwriting in itself is atrocious, but it makes it very easy for a non-artistic person to create very good-looking diagrams um, that really look like you went out and got a professional graphics department to to do something custom for you. Yeah, and the and there's the inside the app. There's access to tons of libraries of of pre rendered uh, stencils and uh, and d- graphic assets that people have created and just put out there for free. So 
if you need to make a little image of a stick figure, you don't need to draw your own. That's out there. If you need an electrical circuit board, it's out there. If you need a, a Mac app element, it's out there. I mean, whatever you can think of, it's probably already out there. I used Omni, um, Omni Graphical quite a bit on the iPad when I was laying out the, um, the basic innards of my house, not so much diagramming the floor plan or anything, because I had no interest in that whatsoever. But when I was figuring out the network and exactly what power requirements needed to be where and what Ethernet requirements needed to be where and how it was all going to interconnect with each other and how it was all going to come back to this one central box in this central location and how I was going to get everything where I needed it to be. And did you uh, share that with your builder? I did. Yeah. So They I mean- um, did not seem to comprehend my needs. <laughs> well, I'm glad you had Omni Gravel to fix that. <laughs> I used it this year, too, for the official Sparks family Christmas card. Oh, is that what you did it on? Yeah, so I took the uh, I took a screenshot of my iPhone, and then I made little app icons for the faces of my family members and drug it in, so it looked like we were on an iPhone. And I know that sounds that really That was very geeky. cute. No, yeah. it was very well done. It was fun, and, yeah, but Omni Gravel automatically lines up the images it auto aligns and, and it has several tools there. Like if you're working with little PNG images, it's very easy to, to get them in there and move them around. You can download OmniGraffle for the Mac over at the omnigroup.com or it's available in the Mac app store. There's a standard version available for $99 or a pro version available for $199. And if you're wondering what the difference is between the two versions, there is a feature comparison chart over on the Omni Group's website. But in a nutshell, uh, the pro version will give you some additional features like giving you a presentation mode, the ability to add additional tables, notes to import custom data, and greater uh, support for shared libraries. There's also a version, like David and I mentioned, for the iPad that is available for $49.99, also available from the iTunes App Store. Um, So lots of options for OmniGraffle, and uh, we do thank the Omni Group for their support of Mac Power users. Yeah, I mean, if you find yourself scratching out diagrams on a napkin or little pieces of paper, then you probably should be checking out OmniGraffle because you can up your game really easily, and you don't have to be an artist to do this. Well, thanks, Omni Group. Um, hey, let's talk about um, people who don't want to pick just one and find reasons to use multiple browsers in different environments. Right. So what, what tools are there out there to help you? Well, the, the, the problems that you're going to run into if you're switching between multiple browsers is, you know, how am I going to sync my information across? How am I going to get my bookmarks across multiple places? And how am I going to get my passwords across multiple places? And how is all my data going to get from one place to another? And I found a, a couple of, of uh, fixes for that. Obviously, um, the passwords is made simple for me. I use one password. Um, there's also a, another comp- a competitive product called LastPass um, that is a web-based product that you can you can also use, and it's available for for multiple browsers if you want to have a separate password solution and you don't want to sync your passwords within the browsers. As far as bookmarks. Um, I've used the Xmark service, which works very well with Chrome and Firefox and versions of Safari that I have found are, are pre-Lion. Um, their, their extension, which is actually um, through to work with Safari, is installed through a system preference pane, um, works with Safari and Lion, but it hasn't yet been optimized, and I've, I've had some problems with that. So although it works, it doesn't quite work seamlessly. Now, the reason that getting, if you decide to manage your bookmarks with a product like Xmarks to sync across multiple browsers, the reason it's important to make that work with Safari is because Safari is what syncs with iCloud, 
and iCloud is what syncs to your iOS devices because chances are you're going to be using Safari on your iOS devices. So I keep looking for a uh, update to the XMarks extensions for Safari and um, hopefully that'll be coming soon. Yeah. See, I, I, since I use Safari pretty much everywhere, iCloud syncs my bookmarks for me. Yeah. Uh, I did see an app in the app store. I didn't download it. It's $5 and, uh, but it, it may be interesting. It's called browser fairy. Which appears to let you to jump between different browsers on your Mac and keep a common set of bookmarks. I mean, there's there's several of those out there. Um, what about plugins? You know, I thought it might be interesting, David. In our in our feedback, instead of having traditional feedback, we're going to go through and talk about extensions that our our users have suggested, our listeners have suggested. But I thought maybe we should go through and and talk about what extensions we've we've installed. And for me, some of the important ones that I use all the time, the, the first one that I have installed is called Speed Dial 2. And that is what allows kind of the, the top sites interface like to, to pop up when I open a, a new tab or a new home or a new page in, in Chrome. So that's how I've got it, gotten along with that. Obviously, 1Password is an extension that is installed. Um, I also use the, um, the Evernote extension, the XMarks extension, and an extension called Invisible Hand. Are you familiar with that? No, never heard of it. Yeah, I'm, I shop way too much online. And what Invisible Hand does is when you're looking at a product on a website, and it's been pretty accurate for me, it, and it's only when you're looking at a product like on Amazon or on Best Buy or on Newegg or wherever you happen to be, just briefly, it will put a little strip across the top of the product page and it will tell you the product that you're looking at, and it will tell you whether this is the best price or whether the price is lower at a different site. Yeah. Yeah, um, you know, you, you did talk about that on a show we did once. I remember now. Um, so I do like Invisible Hand. There's also um, kind of a companion app to that, that that works on a limited subset of sites called um, That Is Worth. And it, I also previously used a service called Camel, 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 but that is worth tracks products and it currently only works with a very limited number of websites, but Amazon being one of them where you tell it, okay, this is what the product currently is, but I really don't want to buy it until it hits this price. So it will monitor specific products for them to go on sale and to reach a certain price level and then notify you when that happens. Um, so those are the ones that I use. And then I also do have, um, because George Starcher recommended them, uh, Ghostery and Adblock installed as well. But I, I don't necessarily run all those extensions all the time. I've kind of been experimenting with extensions lately in preparation for this show, so some of them may get turned off. I think Ghostery is interesting. Why don't you talk about that one a little bit? Ghostery is an interesting site, or an interesting uh, web plugin. What it will do is it will it will go out and it will tell you kind of what is operating behind the scenes of the website that you're visiting and it also gives you an opportunity to educate yourself and learn more about what it identifies including links to the specific company's private privacy policies and their opt out options and then it also gives you an option to block specific scripts from companies that you don't trust and you can even block images and iframes and Things like that. Now, unfortunately, in Google Chrome, it it does not work a hundred percent for blocking as it does in some of the other websites. But apparently, that's something that they're working on is to make it more blocker friendly, which is why I still use it in 
um, in conjunction with a an ad blocker. Yeah, I think that's but, but the idea behind it is to give you some awareness of what is going on and who other than the site that you're on is getting information about you. Yeah, I like that. I like that extension. I think it's a good one. Um, I don't use a lot of extensions. I, I've gone through that, you know, where I went crazy and installed like 20 of them. And then for one reason or another, when I updated the line, I, I just decided I was only going to add the extensions that as I felt like I needed them. And at this point, I've got the one password extension. I've got a YouTube, it's called YouTube 5 extension is the one I use that allows me to display YouTube because I don't have Flash installed. I have one called Page 1 that lets me um, display, because it makes me nuts when these websites put break an article into five pages for no reason other than to get out impressions. And it does, it takes care of that for me. It, it combines it to one page. Um, our friend Brett Terpstra has a plugin called Instapaper Beyond, which gives you a uh, keyboard command control over the Instapaper website. Although since I've started using this app to, uh, to display my Instapaper account, I don't know how much I'll be using that. Um, I use the Omnibar plugin because I do like that feature of Chrome. So there I am installing a plugin to, to get another feature from a different browser. Um, and I just installed invisible hand, you know, because hey, I might need that someday. You know, I think I installed it the last time you told me about it and I'd forgot about it. Okay, uh, but th- there's a lot of of great plugins for all of these browsers out there, and uh, just because I don't have them all installed doesn't mean that there's not merit to them. I mean, depending on what you do, I mean, there's weather ones. If you're an Evernote user, there's uh, some really nice Evernote pl- uh, plugins for Safari. I know. Well, let's talk about some of our uh, listeners. Yeah, we we put out a, a call for feedback from our various listeners, asking them what plugins they used, and uh, a lot of them used a lot of the same plugins. But we'll we'll try to hit some of the highlights. Uh, Linda wrote back and said she uses One Password, but of course, uh, and Grease Monkey for Firefox, but unfortunately, it's not available for other browsers. And she uses it to allow Amazon to connect to selections from her local library and give status reports on book availability. So yeah, see, that's interesting. And that's what I'm talking about. Grease Monkey has got, you can do things with that that I don't think are possible with these other browsers. I mean, so you you go on Amazon, and before you buy a book, it says, oh, yeah, the library down the street has this, and it's available for checkout today. I mean, I'm not sure how on earth I could do that with Safari. No. Which is cool. I, I thought a common theme with almost all of the listeners is almost everybody has one password. Good. You know, which is good. All right. Um, and then there's the people with Flash who almost universally had um, Click to Flash installed. That's a very popular one. Uh, John wrote, and a lot of people also had Adblock Plus installed or Adblock. There are a couple of different versions. Um, better privacy, uh, blank canvas signatures for Gmail, which he says will let you have HTML image signatures at the end of your Gmail in, uh, emails. Uh, another vote for yeah, Ghost you know, Can Street? I just say on that, right. I, I used to do that. I used to put a, an image of my signature at the end of my email. And I don't know, about six months, a year ago, I decided I was just going to make a plain text signature in my email. I think it was a good thing. Yeah. Because I just got tired of seeing that. I, I found it an annoyance when I get emails from people and I think there's an image attached and it's their signature or, in that, or a company logo or something. I just get that stuff out of your life. Just, just leave it text. Um, and tab mix plus. I've never seen that one. Uh, For your movie buffs, uh, David, not you, but another David wrote in and talked about IMDb for Netflix and IMDb for Rotten Tomatoes. 
so that when you're um, viewing a movie detail page in Netflix, the IMDb extension will show you the IMDb score and give you a direct link to the IMDb page. And then it will also add the Rotten Tomatoes extension, which will display the Rotten Tomatoes rating. Um, so if you're a movie buff, those are a couple to consider. That's pretty cool. I don't, did, did he say which browser he was using? Uh, both of those work in Chrome, but they, they may have versions. I'm sure there's similar plugins for other browsers. Yeah, I'm well. looking. I don't see something like that for Safari. So, you know, I'm using the switch to Chrome. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Justin wrote in, he's got another vote for click to flash. Um, another option called disconnect. And these are all available in Safari, um, which allows him to, uh, keep another monitor on his privacy, but he does say a little maintenance is required. Um, Instapaper it is an easy way to send documents to Instapaper. Um, invisible status bar, which is uh, a feature that Chrome and Firefox always have, but it, it adds a status bar into it and doesn't allow it to float. Um, so there's some from Justin. Uh, Wayne gives a vote for the Bitly add-in for Chrome. Simon likes Firebug, which is um, a way that you can see how a web page is broken down and, and study the HTML, uh, which he uses for development purposes, so he can examine and study the HTML of a site. And, and see how a site is actually built. Uh, Mike uses LastPass to sync his passwords, XMarks to sync his bookmarks, and SpringPad and Evernote to save information. So Mike's got all of his information in sync. Um, uh, Christian uses Readability for Firefox and some form of Flash Blocker, but she's got another vote for the Omnibar Safari extension. Yeah, that's pretty nice. Uh, and then Bob was actually the one who turned me on to speed dial. It's available for Firefox and also Google Chrome, um, which as I said, is a more convenient way that you can view your frequently visited sites. So there are lots of, lots of extension recommendations. Yeah. I still believe though, you don't want to go nuts with the extensions that can start causing troubles. Um, right. You know, and, and, uh, and the more extensions you have, the more likely you have for something to conflict. Yeah. And I would recommend that if you do have trouble with your browser, um, don't, Assume that it's necessarily the browser. Maybe go through and check your uh, your extensions. I know, like in Safari, you can do updates, but it's not necessarily automatic unless you make it so. So you could have an out of date plugin, which could cause your browser to slow down. So check those, and you can easily turn them off and kind of go through and check it if there's a problem. And uh, stick with developers you you can rely on. You know, like. Brett Terps, to, if Brett Terps to write something for my Mac, I, I think I'm okay. Yeah, I think you are too. Yeah. There's a lot of them out there, though. And, and it's interesting, when we when we started this this browser war, that if you wanted extensions, you went and got Firefox. And if you wanted the Google stuff, you went and got Chrome. And if you wanted uh, Safari integration, you went and got, or Mac integration, you went and got Safari. Well, that line, as we said at the beginning of the show, is really starting to blur. Because uh, both Firefox and and uh, Chrome are starting to take advantage of the Mac in ways that Safari only used to, and all of them have plugins. So <laughs> I'm not sure that this is much of a war. <laughs> I mean, I think all of these solutions are pretty good. Okay, well, I think that about covers it for browsers. Um, David, we are going to switch gears a little bit and uh, listen to your sit-down with Paul Kent, the head of the Macworld iWorld Expo. All right, so here I am with Paul Kent, the Grand Poobah of the Macworld iWorld Expo. How's it going, Paul? 
Very good. I actually have been meaning to get my business cards changed, but we can't figure out how they're correct spelling a pooba. Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, it, it, Macworld and iWorld now is is really your labor of love. And every year, uh, all of us in the community very much appreciate everything you go through to make it happen. Um, so this year, what's new and exciting at Macworld iWorld? Well, you know, first thing is we changed the name. We yeah. evolved the name. 27 years, it was known as Macworld Conference and Expo. And this year, as part of a, a total evolution of the show, because it's really time. You know, thing, things need to change and evolve to serve markets correctly. And we have all these wonderful constituents who, you know, rely on us to give them a good time once a year. And then we have all these wonderful new people that, that have been buying Apple products that we want to feel that they'll be welcome at the show as well. So somewhat mirroring what goes on in the broader Apple market, um, we've evolved the show to embrace that iDevices are an integral part of what goes on. Now, now this has been a reality for several years. I mean, pretty much since the iPod came out, there have been, you know, products, accessories, utilities for iDevices. Certainly when the iPhone was announced at Macworld in 2007, we immediately saw proliferations of products to service that, iPad products. And so, you know, there have been iProducts at, at the show for quite a while. But we wanted, it both in context, in, in terms of um, the name of the show, but also in the activities that we do, we really have moved very aggressively towards a rebranding and a, a refocusing of the overall message of what the service the show provides. So Macworld iWorld is the name of the show. And then you might notice, I mean, there's so many things in our show that are iSpecific. We have, we have a brand new... Um, uh, we have a brand new app for the show that's coming out soon. It's really fantastic. I mean, it's, not only does it provide show information, but it provides a lot of ability for attendees to find each other. Uh, if you opt in, you can message each other. For us as show management to update you with interesting things going on, um, we've been doing a lot more with social media, um, Twitter, um, Facebook. Our Facebook page has been exploding lately. We've been running a couple of fun contests on there. We ran a contest where attendees could name the top apps of all time. And now we're running a contest called uh, Get Your Geek On, which is uh, people are sending in photos of them in their classic uh, Apple Market T-shirts, uh, of which there are many and a long history of. And we're going to pick the best ones, and the winner will get a $500 shopping spree at the show. So a lot more social media, a lot more mobile lifestyle activities is what the show is evolving to. There's still tons of stuff for, for Mac attendees. We've got our new OS 10 zone where uh, app developers will be showing their latest apps. There's a lot of things in our tech talks that are specifically for Mac users as well. So the show really is now much more effective at addressing the whole scope of what's going on in the Apple products market. Well, you know, it really is true that since iOS came about, it a big part of the show was about iOS. And there's a lot of users who love their iOS devices and aren't that into the Mac. So I think it's a good move. And uh, like it or not, I think it's really the future of Apple is going to be a lot of this stuff. So I'm I'm glad you guys are embracing it. Well, you know, just to get somewhat philosophical, I mean, I think that computers, you, you know, there are certain things in life where you need storage and you need you need um, you know to to beef up the the capabilities of of your environment. You know, with 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 add-ins, um, you need bigger screens. There is a need for computers for those types of functions. And we're going to cover that, you know, definitely. So we have a lot of things going on. You know, the creative environments are, are most obvious for that. So for doing film editing, for doing um, photography, uh, for doing uh, music, uh, these are three areas where the Mac is still very, very 
much the center of the universe. And so we have a lot of sessions in our tech talks and a lot of products on our show floor that address the Mac customer. And then as the iOS devices and this whole mobile lifestyle, there certainly is you know, mobile digital photography with the great optics in, in an iPhone and in an iPad. Uh, we actually, as part of our new efforts, we're actually presenting a film experience of works of video that have been entirely authored and edited and delivered using Apple technology and most often, uh, often um, iPhone or iPad technology. And so these could be anything from shorts to full-length uh, feature films that have been entirely created using mobile technology. And we're doing a whole evening of film screenings and director talks. So for film enthusiasts, the storytelling is is fantastic. And the tools and how they are used, the story of that is really wonderful. So film continues to be important. And then music's always been an important part of Macworld. And in Macworld iWorld, um, we not only have our music uh, studio where there'll be training classes and talks for musicians, music educators, uh, bands, songwriters about how to use uh, Apple tools for that. But we've got all these fabulous performances this year that are being offered at the show. We have several of them during the daytime, uh, and we have evening events each night as to how Apple technology is is, uh, is influencing uh, the musical performing arts. And it all comes with an iFan Pass, which is just 100 bucks right now. So 75 Tech Talks, all these musical performances. Uh, it's really fantastic. Oh, the musical performance, I should tell you, that during the day, not only are there solo performers, like like uh, David Mash, who's an acclaimed um, jazz guitarist, and uh, Apple industry legend Sal Sagoin is going to be performing as well. Oh, really? We also- That's cool. Yeah, Sal's fantastic. And uh, we also have, uh, coming out from the East Coast, the jam band Mo, which had uh, gotten, they have a new album coming out the week of the show, which is kind of cool. And they also got quite a bit of uh, of press recently. The week when Steve Jobs passed, they actually paused one of their concerts. And in tribute to Steve, they performed an entire song using only iPads as instrumentation. Really amazing moment, amazing musicianship, all performed. You know, these, these are this is a jam band. This is a, a traditional band format, um, all performed using an iPad. Uh, and so they're going to be performing during the day on um, on Thursday at Moscone. The Hard Rock Band Atomic Tom is during the day on Saturday. And similarly, they'll be performing using only iPhones. This is a hard, you know, a, a rock and roll band. Um, and in the evening, we've got, you know, great world beat bands, electronic music. We've got an international DJ competition. Uh, and we've got a closing party on the Saturday night. Uh, and it's all artists who have been invited to perform for us because they use Apple technology in their art. Uh, right on stage, you'll see uh, these products being used. So you come to the show. You can shop for new products and discover new products. You can learn about how to use the products you have ever better. And you can actually see them being put to use in kind of very interesting, innovative, creative ways through all the performances and tech talks. I mean, it's really true you guys have something for everyone. I think the name change doesn't mean you're going away from the Mac. It just means you're embracing these other things as well. It's and, Mac world, my world. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, one of the things that you've done this year that I think is really great is uh, this iFan Pass. For 100 bucks, you get into all of the conference um, sessions. And before, that was a lot of money, uh, a lot more than that. And uh, you guys have taken the leap of faith, and you said, okay, everybody, we're going to lower the price, and we need more people to come and join these. And these sessions, I think, are going to be better than ever because there's going to be so many people up there. It's just going to be electric. I can't wait to see how these sessions go. It's been a particularly interesting and unique year for us in that we've had both an iOS upgrade to iOS 5 and an OS 10 upgrade to Lion. So whenever there are major OS upgrades – 
there's a lot of confusion. Should I upgrade? What are the effects on my existing apps? You know, a lot of questions about the features of the new apps. And certainly, you know, the features of iOS 5, there are some significant opportunities for users to improve their the enjoyment of using their their um, their iOS device. Lion has changed so many things. Uh, Andy Anatko is actually going to be doing a full session on what you need to know about Lion. What's the good, the bad, the ugly? Should you go? Should you wait? Um, and it's going to be particularly valuable. So this is a year where there's a lot of stuff we need to talk about, and our sessions cover these extremely well, it, very thoroughly. Um, and then there's a lot of fun things going on. I mean, we have um, really some of the great podcasters doing shows live with under the iFan Pass. Uh, we've got these performances that I've mentioned before. We've got some out-of-the-box type of things. Um, we've got a, a presentation. Here's a really interesting one. Um, the Stanford Medical School is coming and doing a presentation about an app that they developed that is a fly-through of the human brain, all about the technology used, all about the rendering technology used for this amazing, amazing app. So, you know, there's, there's the learning, and then there's just absorbing. And the reason we call it the ultimate iFan event is it's really, you know, fandom is celebrated in several ways. It's celebrated by being a power user and enjoying the journey of getting better at your skills, but it's also celebrated by seeing the very cool and interesting things that people are doing with the very same technology that you have. And that's been a, a vibe of the Apple market for a long time, is that the wall between you know, the, the novice user, the intermediate user, and then to the power user is, is scaled very easily. That musician on stage performing with his iPad, those are the same tools I can buy off the shelf, and if I learn to use them, maybe I can you know, achieve that level of skill. It's just such a cool, that's what makes MacLeod iWorld and for 28 years has made the show such an interesting thing, is that, is that that thin veil between the celebrity true power user, is that skill set is within reach of just about anybody, and that's what the show celebrates. It really is very democratic. I mean, everybody in the room has this uh, same foundational principle that we all love Apple products. And I remember the first time I went, before I was even a podcaster and I was just a normal dude, I made friends everywhere I went. I'd be eating a sandwich next to a guy. And, but, you know, we all had that in common, and we all had something to talk about. And it was just, it's just electric. I told you offline before we started, I just think that my uh, trip to San Francisco every year for Macworld is probably one of the highlights of my year every year. We have so much fun. Um, Katie and I, by the way, speaking of, of workflows and podcasters, we're going to be doing a session as part of the iFan Pass on Friday at 11 with Merlin Mann and Rob Cordry. Uh, and Rob will used to be on The Daily Show. He's in Children's Hospital. He's a great actor, uh, producer, and, and Hollywood type. And he's a huge Mac nut. And he's going to be talking about how he uses his Apple technology in the entertainment field. So there really is going to be something there for everyone, I think. That's fantastic. Uh, we appreciate that you wanted to be a speaker with us again, David. You do a great job. You're really taking a very interesting approach to educating your listeners. And I think that you know what what you do week in and week out. We try to bring all that together for one good week of the year. So we're just the face to face element uh, that is a celebration, and all the great podcasters in our market uh, and all the great educators in our market that are doing this week in and week out. We're the time of year where everybody gets together and sees each other and makes relationships and and forms bonds, and then you guys kind of you know take this creed and and you just apply it week in week out, and it's what makes this community of users so special. There is not a lot of of open to the public user centric technology events out there anymore, and the reason Macworld has thrived and survived for so long is because the power of the community that that uh, supports it. I mean, any any event, any trade show, any conference. 
is only alive as long as it continues to serve its constituents and its constituents breathe life into it. Uh, you know, we seem to do a pretty good job of, of interpreting what the market needs and putting together compelling uh, tech talks. Uh, and we do our best to bring as many new products. This year, we've had about 125 products submitted to our first looks program. So we know of about 125 products that our exhibitors have told us about that are going to be shown, released, uh, revealed to the public for the first time. And we're excited about that. And like I was saying, an event is a mirror on the, on the state of a community. And uh, this community loves to get together. They love to celebrate. They love to pontificate about where Apple's going and uh, going next. Uh, they like to show their uh, creative chops. Uh, and they just uh, they like to share. Sharing is really what the key is. And so we've made the price of the iFan Pass really affordable. You know, for many years, the show was really kind of for the semi-professional. Yeah. But, well, let's say the conference was for the semi-professional. With this evolution to the iWorld message and with all of these additional um, kind of cultural things that we've added to the event, we've really put a stake in the ground and said we are for the user. We are for that person walking out of an Apple store with their first or second purchase as well as for the person who's a 25-year Macworld attendee. Uh, we have something for everybody, and it's really priced now so everybody can enjoy it. Well, you know, in the past, people would ask me whether they should go to the conference or just the expo. And for a lot of people, I would say the expo was just fine, but not anymore. I think it's a no-brainer. Even if you're there just for a day, spend 100 bucks and get the whole experience. It's so worth but it. Bucks and then get, do, it, do it before the show because it goes up to 125 bucks. You know, the concerts each night are you know worth 30 40 bucks each if you were to just go to these concerts. But you're going to go to a really kind of a party that is um, along with a couple thousand other Apple fans. So it's, it's just a lot of fun. It's, it's just, I think it's the most unique environment for Apple product fans where you get to see, try, touch, ask, learn, experience, absorb. Uh, we're just really proud of what we're putting out there this year. Yeah. And you know, it, we call it, it, it really is a community. I mean, whether um, you're a podcaster or a writer for Macworld or whatever you do, everybody is so accessible and it's just your chance to really go be a nerd with the rest of us. And I, I just can't recommend it enough. I mean, get there for at least a day. And if you're there for a day, why not get a, a hotel and go for two days? Cause you're just going to enjoy every minute of it. I, I agree. Yeah. And you know, another interesting thing is you guys are really getting involved with kind of the more social stuff now, always in the past that had been really left to the community and, and the community did a great job of, creating events but now you guys with these these concerts are going to be having lots of stuff going on in the pm as well which i think is fantastic yeah so you know the way that the social environment at the show had worked for so many years there are always lots of parties going on private parties that you know if you knew someone or if you were a good talker you could probably talk your way into well now you know the formal events that come with your pass we're offering stuff for people from 10 in the morning till pretty much midnight every day yeah so you know it, it's it's that type of pedal to the metal, jam a lifetime's worth of, of Apple experience into three days, go home, probably take a day to recover, and then you'll be spinning from all the things that you learned and saw, you know, until we get to see you again. Yeah, I, I, it's just as we record this, we're a couple weeks away, and I am more looking forward to this than I look forward to Christmas. I just can't uh -huh. wait to go and see all my pals and, and see you, Paul, and Katie and I will be there. So anybody listening to this show that can get you know within San Francisco, get yourself an iFan Pass and treat yourself and have a great time because you will. I agree. Thanks so much, David. All right, Paul. See you soon. Take care. Bye-bye.
All right. Well, I think that's going to about wrap it up with our browser wars. So um, if you want to contact us and send us uh, more information about the plugins, the extensions, or the add-ins that you use for your websites or your web browsers and why, you can send us an email to feedback at MacPowerUsers.com. Yeah. You can also find us on the web at uh, www.MacPowerUsers.com or 5x5.tv slash MPU. And you'll find links to everything that we talked about there. Uh, you can also find us on Twitter. The show is at Mac Power Users. I'm at Katie Floyd, and David is at Mac Sparky. Yeah, check out our our blog sites too. I mean, so it's uh, Katie Floyd dot uh, me, right? That's right. And MacSparky.com. did a redesign. It's looking really good. Looking. And one of my New Year's resolutions is to blog more. Yeah, it's you know it's fun. I enjoy that. I really do. So I just have to convince myself that a blog post doesn't have to be a hundred thousand words. Yeah, yours are kind of long. They are kind of long. Yeah. Um, and uh, and thanks to our sponsors. Uh, the show was One Password, Pixelmator, and the Omni Group. And David, what's next? Uh, the next show is going to be a workflow show with Harry McCracken, uh, technology. Excuse me, Harry McCracken at Technologizer dot com. Uh, Harry writes for Time Magazine, and uh, I think he does some stuff for CNN. I know he does it for CNET. Uh, he writes for a lot of big publications. And uh, he wrote an interesting article about how he's just using his iPad on the road. He's no longer using a laptop. And I thought it was fascinating. So we're going to do a workflow show, and he's going to talk through how he gets it done with his iPad. Yeah. Yeah, so that'll be a good one. See you next time.